0: Something different, this way comes something. Hi, I'm Heather McLeod. Welcome to Something Different, This Way Comes, conversations to ease my climate anxiety in Thunder Bay, the Genesis edition. It's 6 a.m. on a Sunday, and the rest of my family's asleep. But I am tapping away on my computer, seeking science and precedence and... Sending out invitations to talk. This is my sleep investment time. The time I give myself to feed the hope that lets me sleep the rest of the week. Thank you for joining me. This season features eight conversations with people in Thunder Bay who are making a difference and giving me ideas and feeding my hope in the face of my climate anxiety. People like Aaron Beagle at Roots to Harvest, Charlotte Robinson of the Thunder Bay Chamber of Commerce, Brendan Grant of Sleepy T Farm, Summer Stevenson, she's the Sustainability Coordinator for the City of Thunder Bay. A new conversation to ease climate anxiety in Thunder Bay posted every Tuesday this May and June. That's Season 1. Season 2 is planned for the fall, if warranted. But this is Season 1, Episode 1, the Genesis edition. Introducing the what and the why of something different this way comes. And my very first guests are my kids, Sam and Ben. To start at the very beginning, the genesis of this podcast, which was a Sunday night. Two, maybe three years ago, it was pre-COVID, so over two years ago already, my family watched A Life on Our Planet, the David Attenborough documentary, and my son, Ben, freaked out. He paced and jittered, which he often does when watching something that, you know, stimulates a lot of senses, like a movie. He then hid in the next room. He is anxious. He is literal. He is sensitive. And he was understanding the point of the movie all too well. And then, as the tension built, he cried. Ben cried. I asked Ben and his little brother Sam what they remember about that night.
1: What I remember clearly is that Ben was really freaking out after he saw that. He was really worried after that and scared of climate change way more than he was before
2: then. So that one was really, really good because it kind of really laid out what would happen if we didn't do anything, we just stayed with it just ignoring the idea of climate change existing. And it laid out a timeline of what would happen to the point of the Earth eventually dying. But it also did have a little bit of hope at the end, but it still did drive the point that this is actually really serious. This is a huge problem that's that might kill us all if we don't do anything. And
0: remember, Sammy, I was like, don't worry. There's solutions people are doing stuff. There's scientists that are finding ways that we can address this. And yet, it wasn't in that movie.
2: No, no. It it really it really emphasized that what we're doing isn't enough and we need to keep working at it to fix this.
0: So, you don't cry a lot. So, your tears, they were like a total wake-up call for me. I was I was ashamed because I knew how urgent and important this is, but I I wasn't even very sure about what we should be doing or could do that would help, so I went looking. So I could reassure you and myself that adults have got this. You don't have to worry. Scientists are figuring out what will work. People are making it happen. And, And the first thing I found was Drawdown. Here's the book right here. A project to get all those scientists together to really figure out why and how we keep burning more and more carbon, despite knowing it's making our climate unstable, and then weighing the solutions so we know how we can most effectively do what we need to do without contributing anything more to the climate crisis. In fact, the book is called Drawdown because it spells out how to do things, so we start pulling that extra carbon out of the atmosphere again, drawing it down. So Ben... When you're looking at the book, there it is right in front of you, what comes to your mind when you think about changing how we generate the energy we need and waste less of the energy we produce? What do you think of when you think about solving this crisis?
2: What I think of is reducing in the current wasteful ways we go about um, our day-to-day lives and being able to improve it It and... um. Being able to break various barriers that keep us from doing that, like money, and um, just, I don't know, it's mainly money.
0: Give me an example. How does money get in the way of us doing things more efficiently?
2: Well, take for example, um, our dad right now is really excited to be able to get the new electric version of the truck he has now, but he can't currently afford that right now, so he has to keep using our our gas version.
0: That's a really good example. Sam, how about you? Are are you more worried or or more hopeful about the climate crisis?
1: Well, for me, I'm definitely quite a bit worried, but I do try to stay hopeful. And the first thing that comes to mind for, like, solving it, it's really solar panels. Because, like, They take sunlight, which I'm sure every city at least has some of, and it turns it into energy, like a leaf.
0: That's really very true. There's lots of different things we we could do that together would reverse climate change. They'll take a little time, just like it took some time to get to this point, and we're going to have to survive a lot of crazy weather tragedies before the job is done. And get, we get back to a more stable climate. But the solutions, as I learned first in Drawdown and keeps coming up as as we as I do research, they can be grouped into a few things. And what I'd love you guys to do now is, is imagine with me those solutions in your everyday life and, and how you might see them around you or what they might change. Okay? So I'll summarize a few of the big ones for you. And I want to hear what that makes you imagine changing here in Thunder Bay. So, Sam... We need to stop burning fossil fuels and instead generate that energy with solar and wind and water power. So right now in Thunder Bay, when you go by the airport, there's that big solar power setup. Some buildings have solar on top of the roofs. There's also, I don't know if you know about this, but at the garbage dump, they capture methane and they turn that into energy that powers some of the houses in town. So that's all really cool. But we do need to do more. So if you imagine a fossil fuel-free Thunder Bay of the future. What would you like to see?
1: Well, one one thing I'd like to see is fossil fuel or gas using cars. I wish those were, like, just gone. Like, Like, in that time, it's as if those are carriages from all the way back. And, like, solar panels on every roof and over by the windy spots you could have windmills and from what i've learned in school windmills you only need like a few to power a city and still there's there might be more that you can and like sell
0: right so you could power other places with the wind energy you capture in one place
1: yeah, because if we have windmills and the more we have, the more we can s- energy we can sell to other countries or cities, therefore we can get more money to make stuff like electric cars and like easy ways like stuff in drawdown, ways of getting energy that way, much cheaper because we have more money now.
0: Right. So if we are successful at one thing, we can roll with that and put it into other things and, and, and make it all finance one another. So, so, Ben, you're like a walking encyclopedia of cars and engines and motors. You've always loved that kind of stuff. When gas-fueled vehicles become historic, like Sammy just said, when they're like, you know, the carriages of yore, how do you think we will transport ourselves
2: and, and products
0: around Thunder Bay, like just in the city?
2: Well, there are various ways. Um, Electric cars show much promising development, with various companies vowing to stop um, manufacturing gas cars and solely working on electric models.
0: I remember going with you to the car museum, and there were electric cars from when? When?
2: 1920s and back. They were a very early idea, but because at the time they were so underdeveloped and um slow and only lasted for a short time, they were considered um quite sexistly the women's vehicle as they were quite right, slow and weak and couldn't do much.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. And now they're back to being like the future. It's all pretty cool, Sam. In order to get through this shift from fossil fuel burning to fossil fuel free, we need to waste less of the energy we produce, which you kind of referred earlier. So in order to do that, they're thinking about how to get more people to live closer together and neighborhoods that have everything people need to get to on their average day so no one has to drive to the grocery store or to something, you know, regular like that. Things are closer. So I want you to imagine again. Imagine a Thunder Bay neighborhood you know well where your school is, where your Auntie Julie lives. Think about it with less cars and traffic, more of what people need that's now close enough for them to get there by walking or biking or taking the bus. What do you imagine?
1: Well, I'm thinking you'd need to go to the grocery store less if you could grow most of your food. So what if you had, like, on the top of a house, a garden, like, a garden that's not just for flowers or something that's pretty, but, like, for food, and, like, you could have apple or other kind of fruit trees in your front yard. That would be, it'd be easy to get most of your food, and if you wanted, like, less houses, then one thing that could be useful is, like, those kind of buildings where it's like one it's like one house but there's multiple people in it not like giant apartment buildings but like those ones that you'll sometimes see on the road when when they're all attached
0: cool so different ways of building so it might be able to accommodate more people but they can have the space that works for them Mm -hmm. cool How about you, Ben? When you imagine a Thunder Bay neighborhood with less cars, more walking, biking, what strikes you about that imagining?
2: Well, I like Sam's idea of the grow-ups on the roofs, but you're mentioning having everything where they need. is. It reminded me of an idea I had a really long time ago. Something I see that's pretty common with littering is there's all these pop cans everywhere now what I like the idea of is like so you know how you can buy food in bulk I like the idea of like you can fill up a jug of whatever kind of drink you want or like maybe it could drive through a neighborhood and when you pull the when you pull the tab it'll count based on the amount of gallons that's going through how much you've put in
0: yeah there's actually a company in town called the refill company And that's what they do. They weigh whatever container you bring in, and they refill it so that you're not having to throw out containers. They don't do pop yet. But that's kind of the beginning of this idea you have.
2: Yeah, maybe it could be um, incorporated into some local breweries. I like that idea. That'd actually be quite cool.
0: Yeah, actually, at the local breweries, you can buy a jug of beer and then bring back the jug and pick up another jug. It's another way of, you know, not having to... uh, waste a can and all the energy that goes into a can. Ben, in in Seth Klein's book, A Good War, he suggests that one of the great ways to get the work done that needs to get done to really make this transition in Canada is to involve young people. The idea being that there might be a few years where other generations might have gone straight off to school and your generation might be given an opportunity to help make this transition happen. Um, what do you think? What, what work would you be willing to do in a couple of years when you're old enough?
2: I love this idea. Like, yeah, it would be great to be able to um, to help the community by learning new things, things by hand, because, oh my God, learning learning things by paper is so boring. If I can learn more things by hand and also help my community by doing that. That would be amazing. That's
0: so cool. Okay, Sammy. So, what gives you hope when you think about the next few years? You think about a climate emergency that we're going to be tackling. What gives you hope?
1: Um draw down first of all that book and um that podcast that you were listening into in in the car about how now solar energy is going is getting much cheaper windmills and um i don't want to say dam because those kind of they they sometimes hurt the environment around them but those like water wheels those
0: are great ideas you ben when you think about the next few years and the world working together to solve this climate crisis. What gives you hope?
2: Well, what gives me hope is seeing when the government manages to make some really good choices that actually help the environment, and when they do actually happen, that that makes me happy because they actually got to doing, doing some really good stuff.
0: Cool. Thanks, guys. I love you.
2: Bye. Bye. Au revoir.
0: That was Ben and Sam, my kids, my sons. They're a big part of my why for this podcast, because I can't solve the climate crisis. I can't fix climate uncertainty for them, not just by wishing it all better or reassuring them. I wish I could. I want to be an adult that fixes things that whose kids go, yeah, my parents were part of the solution of the crisis of our times. I can't just fix it, but I can answer the questions about what's being done to get us the carbon neutral future we need. i don't know as much as I kind of thought I'd picked up along the way. I have learned a lot by making it a point, by <laughs> spending my early mornings on the weekends just trying to learn and my free time what I choose to read and watch to, to try to better understand. I can also find out how Thunder Bay is changing. That will help us get through and grow, do better, and maybe even thrive through the climate emergency. Catherine Hayho. She's the Canadian climate scientist. She's author of an amazing book, Saving Us, which has pride of place on my reference library shelf of hope. She says conversations are really powerful. They make change happen, not immediately, not a snap of the fingers, not even necessarily directly, but powerfully. And not that indirectly either. A good conversation can be like the sound that, um, a few beats later, triggers an avalanche. Or the guy in that video on TED Talks, oh gosh, I watched it years ago, but he's somebody who's at an outdoor music festival and everybody's enjoying it, sprawled out, picnicking while they listen, and he decides to get up and dance, which is hard. It's kind of scary, right? To be the one person dancing in a big space full of people that are not. And then he invites somebody else to join him who's a little reluctant takes a bit of courage, but they do. And in a few beats, most of the crowd is dancing. A conversation can do that. Catherine Hayho, I mean, she's got scientific findings to support this recommendation that we talk about our climate worries and questions and hopes and ideas and in order to help make good things happen. So that is something I can do, and I'm doing right now. I can talk. In fact, I can't not. I can't not talk about it. So... I'm grateful for this podcast, my conversations with people in Thunder Bay that I want to talk with. I want to tell them what I'm thinking and hear what they're thinking. I want to share the science that's got me pondering and wondering. I want to look at the precedents I've tripped across and talk to them about what it makes them think of. I want to hear what they're doing that I haven't had a chance to hear about. What is happening? What could happen right here? And I am grateful that you are deciding to listen and, and joining in. This way comes something different this way comes. Going back to my conversation with the kids, the other thing that really stuck with me after talking to them was how Ben lit up. When I, when I asked him if he wanted to help, if he would be willing to set aside other things, other kids of other generations had done of his age and, and, and pitch in. And he just, he so wants to be part of the solution. He wants to be valued and included and have a place in making good things happen. And I don't think he's alone. I mean, I, I really think for whatever the reason, a lot of us would welcome a chance to do more, not really to be busier, but to set aside things we value less, and get an opportunity to invest in something we value a lot, like saving the world. <laughs> you know, I mean climate change. I, I I want to assume you you get this, but it really is so scary that our brain shuts down and does not want to think about it. We have we have messed with our climate. Not intentionally, perhaps. We have taken, put off for 30 years what we understood a long time ago needs to be done, which is changing how we draw our electricity, changing how we do the things we need to do and and run the world to meet our needs and emit less carbon and absorb more carbon. I mean, that's what we need to do. We know how to do it. But we do need to make changes, and we're being really slow making the changes. And we have to make the changes quickly. Now, what exactly those changes look like? Moving target. Not exactly sure. And a lot of it's up to what specific people and communities choose to do together. So this is my community. I want to know how we're choosing, where we're going, what people's ideas are, what excites them and what sounds good to them. I want to give Sammy something and Ben something that they can sign on for and and consider becoming a part of. Like, okay, here's just, in the Second World War, there were youth corps and, and they did helpful stuff, even though they were young people and kids. Could we organize a, a Climate Action Youth Volunteer Corps here in Thunder Bay and actually give them something valuable to do, right? And give them the autonomy to say make suggestions of other things they could do of give them the opportunity to learn through what they're doing and and to be trusted with what they're doing maybe they could help thunder bay homeowners turn their yards into native plant oases that suck up so much more co2 than a lawn does and are so much more resilient to whatever crazy weather is is going to come our way as we as we transition through the climate change we've already paid into cuz the the carbon we put into the climate it uh, it has a lifespan right so once you put it in it's not that that's that it does its bad business no it's the beginning of its lifespan so we know how many lives of carbon in the atmosphere we're going to have to survive uh you know messing with us and uh every year it, it's so far getting worse but we can start drawing it down in the meantime there's going to be a time of crazier and crazier weather and resilient lawns which are a great oasis for challenged species that are essential to life like bugs would be amazing, would be so helpful. So my, my, my friend, John Wallace, I bumped into him this week, and, and he was saying that he would love to help people figure out how to turn their lawn into a native plant oasis. And and the friend I was sitting with was like, oh, she lit right up. She's like, oh, what can I do? But but not everybody can, can, you know, dig up the lawn and do the research and find the plants. Not everybody has that resource, even if they'd be willing to see their lawn so transformed. So maybe that's an opportunity that we could, turn into a volunteer opportunity and bring in some volunteers that know gardening and bring in some, uh, you know, willing hands that want to do the work. Because it doesn't have to just be teenagers, right? There's so many people, I look around in Thunder Bay, that are like untapped resources. For whatever reasons, they would love the opportunity to be helpful and to be included and to be respected and honored and made a part of something important. So... I don't know exactly how these things will unfold and I'm not a volunteering to start that particular group. I'm I'm talking at this point, I'm just talking, but that's the kind of things I'm listening for, the kinds of opportunities that would that would stoke that fire that lit up in Ben when I said, "Would you like to be part of the solution?" and he does. He so does. I don't have an answer yet on this one, Ben, but I am listening for one. Something different. This way comes, something different, this way comes. A book that really shapes my thinking, by the way, is Humankind by Rutger Bergman. Place of Honor on my reference library of hope. He's a European historian and journalist. I I came across him in Newsweek. I think they had like a little blurb about his latest book. So in this book, he challenges our fears and assumptions that we as a species are are basically bad. It's a very common assumption. You know, we're we're poor sinful creatures. It's crazy how much we just assume that of one another. He builds a very solid case, both kind of putting name to where we get those ideas from and how they've been, you know, integrated into our, our, our education and our, and our learning, and refuting them with science, with actual history. He, he proves that actually most people are pretty decent. The people most likely to think otherwise, he proves, are those in power. I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? The temptation to convince yourself most people are not intelligent and careful and trustworthy, peaceful, and so need to be managed and controlled, evidently grows the more you're tasked with managing, controlling, and profiting by others. But in fact, most people are calm and helpful in a crisis. Most people are gentle and reliable and kind most of the time. Honest and trusting by default. Collaborative and cooperative by nature. The vast majority of the billions of us on this planet are good eggs. Which is a radical, powerful way to think of us. When you think about it. Which I do. I think about it a lot. Something different. This way comes 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 something different. This way, this way, this way comes. Now, when I was chatting with the boys about about uh, how this podcast came to be, we did mention Drawdown. Total fan of Drawdown. Place I go to for news. That gives me hope and information in science that is just so thought-provoking and positive. A Good War by Seth Klein also came up. I also think about that book a lot. But he's thinking about how uh, what Canada did during the Second World War gives him hope and even some ideas for how we're going to tackle climate change. I mean, think about it. Canada in the 1930s, before the Second World War, the Depression, the very rich and the very poor, the insecurity and the conflict and the colonialistic thinking. And think of Canada of the 1950s, after the Second World War. Way more equality and respect and inclusion. Not perfect, by far, but free university for returning soldiers lifted so many from laborer to educated middle class, if they so choose. Medicare, employment insurance, all these refugees that we that we settled. So much of what we celebrate as being great Canadian things were put in place or getting established in the nineteen fifties. And what came just before? A depression and a war. A war that cost so many lives, that cost so much money, that asked for so many people to change in so many ways so quickly from a divided, depleted depression, country. We can do hard things. Which, by the way, is the name of a podcast that I love. It's not about climate change. It's about relationships and life and how we can do hard things. We all do really hard things. Anybody you know well enough to know their life story, think of a time when they did something that just awes you. We can do really hard things. We might not talk about it as much as we chit-chat and post boast but we can do hard things. Something different this way comes, something different this way comes, something different this way comes. Okay, another book that's totally shaping me, that's on that, that bookshelf of of hope, is is Values by the great Canadian economist Mark Carney. It is a big fat book, I have to admit because he first spells out how we built our current economy, the whole European and colonial history of it, the thinking and mistakes and accidents that founded and shaped our planet's current economic systems, which you might think of as an unmutable given, right? Like it, it can't change. We're stuck with it. It's just bigger than, than we could possibly shape. But in fact, there is no system built by humans that can't be changed by humans. We built it. We choose to maintain it. We choose when we change it, which is a lot easier to imagine doing, you know, because you're just one of many, 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 right? It's a lot easier to imagine being part of a needed change when you understand how these things were built over time, when they're they're given their true historic context of, you know, imperfect people just making something up that turns out to have a function that we take it on. We can change things. And Carney is working to change our global economic system. Change them profoundly so that that we as a species change our tradable values from extractive, exploitive, stratified, colonial. Not that he says it that way, but that's how I think of it, of what he does say, we're shifting to valuing sustainability, fairness, inclusivity, erasing the divisions between us and the differences, the haves and the have nots. I've been following the progress of this systemic revolution from the top. Well, the almost to the top, the, the policy advisors trying to advise the leaders and shape the followers and direct them and guide them and inspire them. I've been following it as best I can, and, and I'm heartened, really heartened by what I see. I, I wish I could just change it in a, in a snap of the fingers, but of course, change is never quite that fast or that straightforward or that seamless and perfect, but change is happening. Difference is coming. Which is great. But I'm also heartened in this book by that reality check that Carney so carefully provides. Our systems are our creation. We maintain them by choice as a society, and we can choose to change them. It is so easy to assume otherwise. I, I know. In fact, you know, there's science about how we're kind of hardwired to obey these these social rules that we don't even, you know, consciously adopt we consider social systems like um invisible walls we must walk between and we're so very social so generally obliging so loath to risk offending that we are you know, <laughs> we control ourselves beyond what is reasonable or necessary we can actually think of ourselves as helpless pawns in the hands of the powerful or or manipulated by uh, you know by by a few and conspiracy and, and villains, that's kind of what you see over and over and over again in, in me- movies and and you know kids shows and books and stuff like that. But that's that's not actually how how most of what is wrong is happening. Most of, of what is wrong is 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 being given to people willingly, being supported actively by by people that have uh, power, and they're choosing to manage in the same kind of socially influenced way as the rest of us. It's not very conscious. Um, It's very careful, and it's very uh, afraid, I think. But we do have power. We are pretty darn smart. We have influence and rights. When we put our heads together, we can do great things. There are opportunities. There are liberties that we have granted one another that we can more actively support, beyond the right to vote or choose how we spend our money. I'm thinking here of Catherine Hayhoe again, The impact of sharing our observations, of respectful conversations that listen and dare to trot out our imperfect, evolving ideas and understanding. The the impact of that, of that, that brave speaking out, and that careful, respectful speaking out, is bigger than it feels in that moment of daring to speak out. But to get back to Carney... We are also, all of us, experts in more than one system with insight into where it works as intended and where there are inefficiencies, unwelcome effects that are clearly not doing what the system is designed to do. I'm thinking right now of my friend who uh, was detailing me uh, very recently how long-term care is being provided to her mother and where the system in place is imposing stupidities that are wasteful and hurtful and wrong, and nobody in the system thinks otherwise, hers is an insight that could and should inform helpful change. The systems that we support should have room for that, that wisdom and insight and frontline experience. Spotting and naming those opportunities to do the job better, that's powerful stuff. So I think about that. I think about that a lot. Something different this way comes, it does. Something different this way comes. Something different this way comes, it does. Something different this way comes. So all this to say the science is there, the precedent is there, the will is there. The change required is less than we managed during the Second World War. The differences that need to happen need to happen fast, like those we made during the Second World War. Maybe we will start rationing and gardening and refitting factories in the very near future. I don't know. I don't know what difference this way comes. Maybe the societal transformation that we do require, don't get me wrong, will require different tools to weather this crisis than they did in the Second World War. Climate uncertainty, wild weather. Disruptions, displacements, losses. This is a crisis. And in a crisis, people tend to do the right thing. Be inspiring and creative and generous and hardworking. Whatever the difference this way comes, I know we will manage it here in Thunder Bay. I want to talk about it, though. Something different this way comes change is needed. And change is being seeded. I'm so excited to share with you my conversations with people who inspire me with their actions and their attitude and the information they have to share. And I'm very thankful for this opportunity to share my thoughts and hopes for our future here in our home with you. Thank you for joining me. I hope you join me every Tuesday until the end of June. Please subscribe talk about this podcast. I would love that. Donations are also welcome. There's not a lot of overhead, but there's some, and I'd, I'd love some help with it. You can connect with me. You can join our community. Just share your opinion. Give me a suggestion of what I should add to that reference library of hope. It's ca. I would love for you to connect with me there. I welcome feedback. I am going to audit what remains on the website for things I think are helpful and contributing. So I hope you find there good information that helps you sleep at night despite your climate anxiety and wake up in the morning ready to tackle this time of transition. Something different, this way comes something. I would like to thank David Gutnick. Um, he's a longtime friend, and uh, and he was really helpful as I tried to figure out how to say all these things I want to say and, and created this podcast. I would also like to thank my uh, partner in podcasting, the marvelous Leah McKay. She's uh, the graphic designer who came up with the image for the show. She helps me get the word out and tidy up the website whenever I get my messy fingers in there. Um, she's also my niece and just a fabulous human being. This was the Genesis edition of Something Different This Way Comes. Next is the Tips for Changemakers edition with the wonderful Erin Beagle of Roots to Harvest. You're not going to want to miss this conversation. It took so many left-hand turns and just I have been thinking on it ever since. She is so smart and and rooted in all the right things. Just love it. So I hope to see you again next Tuesday, May 9th. I'm Heather McLeod. Something different, this way comes something. Something different, something different, something different, this way comes something. Something different, something different, something different, something different this way comes.